0: So last night was Halloween. Yeah. You got to see the grandbabies. Yes. I was here working on a school project.
1: Yes. You missed it. You missed all the fun.
0: What was the cutest part?
1: The cutest part for me is always the exact same part when we're with the grandbabies, which is how excited the two kids are to see each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just so funny to see Christian when uh, Nora came in with her... Ruth Baby Ginsburg outfit on, wearing her little spectacles and how excited she was to see him and how her little feet wiggled and so yeah, it was really, really cute.
0: Yep. Yeah, I uh I really enjoyed seeing those pictures and um they really have taken to each other from day one. Yeah. And one of the amazing things for me, um, one of my biggest anxieties about adoption was, are we going to have this sense of total belonging with our family mm-hmm. that you take for granted when a family's constructed biologically? Yeah. And, you know, Nora's mental development when she was first born obviously isn't there, but Christian took to her from day one.
1: Right, right.
0: And so that bond is... is stronger than blood or it doesn't come from the blood or, or yeah. whatever.
1: I, I think it's pretty strong
0: and I don't think there's anybody she's more excited to see than Christian.
1: And she started to eat and he was very happy to share his avocado with her last night so yeah. so it's getting fun.
0: Yeah okay All right well welcome North Star. Hi guys I'm Scott. I'm Teresa. We are here bringing you your now weekly podcast recap from the message that was the weekend of October 28th or thereabouts. Yeah. And so we are going to get started. We have been an ongo- We have been in an ongoing series on uh, spirituality, and I think the. Correct me if I'm wrong, because the I think the series has largely been your brainchild. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the series has has sort of been about the idea that a lot of us start off with poor assumptions about who God is, what his character is, what his expectations for us are. And if we do not have those things uh, in order, if we do not have our, our foundation, I don't want to use the word correct because I don't want to talk about it in terms of right or wrong, but if we don't have a solid foundation, what God's character is and what his desires for us are and his expectations, then we have a hard time even getting started with the spiritual life.
1: Yes, and you know, it's sort of one of my pet peeves uh, when I come across um, what appears to me to be to this massive stumbling block of having these notions about who God is, that frankly, if I had the notions, uh, I wouldn't even be willing to pers- pursue any kind of spiritual development. So uh, I have nothing but respect for people who have these distorted notions of God, but still keep le- leaning into trying to have a life of faith. I mean geez, more power to them on that. But it's super um, damaging, I think, uh, some of the ways that we have come to see God and his work and the kingdom of God and all that. And, you know, all this came out of conversations I have with other people, but also with this class that I've been working on, on spiritual practices. And um, coming... Uh, Coming alive, really, with this vision of sort of a map uh, using the Enneagram tool, which we use a lot, a map to um, help us find our way back home to God. And so this is all tied up in that. That's how I got to all this obsessing over this concept.
0: So which of these sort of false views of God, uh, which ones did you have in mind specifically? We know there's a number of them. Um, There's a number of ways in which we sort of get confused about who he is or are manipulated into believing things about him that are not true. Uh, Which ones do you think are the most uh, harmful and maybe distracting?
1: Well, this is one that I observe, but I don't think people articulate. So I always think that the ones you don't know that you have are the ones that um, will really bite you in the patootie. Sure. Hey, I worked in patootie. That was impressive, right? Ding. Okay. So um, I honestly don't think people think God's paying any attention at all. I mean, otherwise, how do you explain this bizarre behavior Of talking about being a person of faith, but doing things that are antithetical to being a faithful person.
0: Yeah, I think that people, I think people go one of two ways with that, which is they either uh, don't think God's paying attention at all, like you said, or just don't even give any thought to, to God, or... Uh, people think he's paying so much attention that there's no point even trying because we're just going to get so much stuff wrong and we may as well give up.
1: Yeah, that's true. There is that. I just see a lot of people who just, there's just such a disconnect. I mean, and and the reason I notice it is it's also true for me that I get very disconnected myself. Mm-hmm. Um Not so much from the perspective that I think he's not paying attention, but um, I've always struggled with the distorted image that God wants me to care about his people, but God really expects me to pull my own weight. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem believing that God cares about people, but I have a history of believing that God sort of expects me to earn my keep.
0: Right. Right. Are you saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, or?
1: Well, I'm saying it's a true thing for me. This tendency I have, and so I'm not really into good and bad. I am into saying that hinders me. Uh, nice squeaky chair there, Scott. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, but I'm uh I'm just saying that it hinders me from finding my way to increased conscious contact with him.
0: So you think what? So what you're saying is is that uh, your focus on doing your part is kind of a a distraction, or um, it's sort of a shame based. Oh yeah. Play. Okay.
1: Yeah, and I think the reason I'm saying that is because I listened to myself say a few minutes ago. I'm observing people who just seem to think that God isn't paying attention. Right. And I and I say that in light of. The stories that I hear about people doing really outrageously unfaithful things, but then talking about their spirituality as if it's very important to them, yeah, so
0: as if there's nothing else
1: yeah, so um you know I'm um, wanting to add to that to say I'm not saying this in some judgmental tone like I've got it all together because I do not. I'm just saying mine is a different kind of issue,
0: yeah. But we your, all have issues. Right. That yours is more the the shame of having to perform yeah. for God.
1: Yeah, I'm probably at that end where I think he's paying too much attention.
0: And he's overly demanding. Yeah. And um and and, and that kind of thing.
1: He's looking for ways to give me coal.
0: Right. <laughs> right. The <laughs> Santa Claus God. Yeah. 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 Or the vending machine god, depending on the yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, so walk us into this week's message.
1: So this week we were in Acts 8, um, which is a story about an Ethiopian eunuch, which try to say that a bunch of times in a row.
0: Uh, I'm going to pass on that.
1: Yeah. So it's a story of an Ethiopian eunuch and his encounter uh, with God's helpers. Okay. Okay. And, um, there's just a lot about that story that busts through all the myths that I observe myself and others living by as it relates to God.
0: Okay. So which are the primary myths that you think we're dealing with in this story? The same ones that we talked about earlier? or yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, the
1: fact that God's impersonal, Impersonal, or the fact that he's distant, okay, that he's moved on, okay. Or, or that he's got a particular um set of criterion for who he's going to pay attention to. Okay. And um, this story sort of busts through all that, in my mind at least.
0: All right. So recap the story, and then we'll come back to these myths, and okay. we will talk about how they got busted, as it were.
1: So Acts 8, Christians are being persecuted. Yep. And... Um, there's this Ethiopian eunuch. I just think that's the funniest thing ever.
0: It sort of gets boring to say that, uh, you know, over and over again that we found yet another strange story in the Bible.
1: This is a strange story. It's just though. adding up. Yeah. But
0: this one is...
1: It's so strange.
0: Yeah. And the ones leading up to it are strange. And it is just... Who who even knows what to say about it?
1: I don't know. and there, and, there, and people ask questions, which you know how much we love those in the message this weekend that i hadn't even thought about like well i'll get to that in a minute but they asked questions that made the strangeness of the story even more apparent yeah so you've got this ethiopian eunuch <laughs> so he's not jewish right he's from ethiopia ethiopia so he's black he is he has been castrated so that because at this particular time in history, they believed that men who were going to serve the kings and queens in the land would be less distracted if they were castrated.
0: I think they're probably on to something.
1: I don't know. That's we just We need to like, bring that back. Who, who lets that happen? Yeah. Um. And so this guy has... Uh, he's lost a lot. <laughs> without me going into too many details about what that law I think we already is.
0: went into the details. Uh, so
1: we kind of got that. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, he's in charge of all the finances for his country, and he works for Queen Candace. Yep. And he's on a spiritual pilgrimage.
0: To? Jerusalem.
1: To Jerusalem. And... Um, what must the temple folk think when he shows up on his spiritual pilgrimage
0: yeah who knows
1: he's riding in a chariot
0: probably not going to be welcome there
1: not too welcome and uh and, i
0: can't now i can't remember maybe you maybe you'll remember but is he on his way or is he returning
1: i don't remember
0: Okay, I think he's, I feel like he's on his way.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but he's got a scroll in there, and he's reading from the book of... Isaiah. Isaiah, which somebody said, how'd he get hold of a scroll? Yeah. I don't know.
0: I don't know Again,
1: another strange part of the story. And so an angel of the Lord, which is not to be confused with the Holy Spirit, it's a different thing. A messenger. A messenger from God tells... Philip, to go catch up with this and run beside this cherry We're and help this guy. So
0: prepared. I right know. Now. Oh man.
1: Oh, I'm just try- I'm I'm still stuck on Ethiopian eunuch. So the yeah, other when details, that's starting pale place. In yeah. yeah. So anyway, and he if, does you guys, it-
0: if you guys know, then comment on the Facebook post where yep. we where we shared this and 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 uh, you know join in on the help fun. us
1: get the details right. Yep. So he's on some obscure road, and then he gets basically mentored by one of Christ's followers. And um, then he actually says towards the end, hey, why can't I be baptized? Mm -hmm. And they climb out of the chariot, and the guy gets baptized in the river. And it's just the strangest story.
0: Right. So he's asked for help understanding um, what he's reading. Yes. And um, so Philip is guiding him through that. Yeah. Basically.
1: Breaking it down for him.
0: And he gets to the end of this explanation about this particular passage that he's reading. And it occurs to him, hey, I can join the faith. Yeah. Without an ounce of of shame or uh, doubt
1: or whatever. Yeah and I mean you can kind of see his perspective because he's been riding along in a chariot and some guy has said, "Hey, can I come aboard? Can I can I help you? Can I help you interpret this and understand what this is?" So he's he's seen that um at least on this particular road that he's been accepted and mentored and encouraged and had stuff explained to him. And that's really lovely.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, that's sort of the very quick and, and dirty version of the story. Yeah. Um, now, uh, m- and maybe we covered the high points or enough of the high points to tie this into what we have been talking about. And so we started talking about these myths and these beliefs about who God is wh- and how he interacts with his people. And you said this is a story that breaks down a lot of assumptions we might have about who God is and how he relates to his people. So walk us through again uh, the—well, maybe you don't have to walk us through the specific myths again, but walk us through how this story breaks down the myths myths that we talked about at the beginning.
1: Well, it's certainly an interesting choice that God would send all this— energy, and work for one Ethiopian eunuch. Mm -hmm. And so here are some things. God's noticing stuff that's going on. Yep. I mean, God knew his exact location. Um, He uh, sends an emissary to speak to him, Um, and it doesn't appear that The Ethiopian eunuch had to do anything other than express an interest in knowing and an awareness. Mm -hmm. And and yet no one in that time would have thought that an Ethiopian eunuch was worth taking the time for. Right. I, I mean, people thought so little of him that they were willing to dismember him to make him more usable to the king and queen of his country.
0: So that's a point I think that's that's particularly worth keying in on because I think one of the myths that we, that we need to wrestle with is this idea that, I mean, you talked about how God is impassive, potentially uncaring, um, but also I think we have ideas about what kind of people God would accept and what kinds of people God wouldn't accept. Now, our culture has a little bit different dialogue than their culture. I mean, in that day and age, they would have very specific ideas about what kind of person could belong to God and what kind of person couldn't. And there's a lot of passages in the New Testament breaking down those distinctions. We see it in stories like this in the Gospels, and we see people continue to struggle to live together with their differences as we move into uh, the letters of Paul and talking about life together as Jews and Gentiles and all of that kind of thing. So, what we're dealing with, I think, as you just mentioned, are these stereotypes about what kind of person will God accept. Right. And I think that even though we, we don't have this conversation today about Jew versus Gentile or that kind of thing, we still really struggle with this idea of what kind of person is acceptable to God.
1: What about Pittsburgh?
0: Tell me what you're thinking about that.
1: Well, we had some guy that went in and shot up a, a synagogue. Right. Um, I don't know what his spirituality is all about, but he certainly had that us and them mentality. Yep. And so we're still struggling today with that us-and-them mentality. Definitely. So when I think about how God is able to pay attention to all different kinds of people, it's a little disheartening that we people haven't figured that out by now.
0: Yeah, and to tie it specifically to our community, we are dealing with people in recovery. And a lot of the people who end up in our small little community uh, do not feel that they have a home in other places. They either don't feel like they don't have their lives together enough to fit in in a a more conventional faith home, or perhaps they feel like they've been pushed out of one, or perhaps they... um, have been shamed out of one or whatever the case may be, we see people who, who come from a vr- many different kinds of places but struggle to feel like they could just walk into any faith community and be at home there, right which I think suggests the problem part of the problem is that people who have problems, people who have lived difficult lives often don't feel like they can just walk into any old place. Even though I think the message of a story like this, and uh, and plenty of other places as well, we could put together a whole list of references, is that you should be able to walk into any old place, whoever you are, and have that be your home.
1: Yeah, why can't you get baptized? You know, (laughs) it's like, he he seemed to
0: get that part.
1: Yeah, he got it, and, and we could get it. But, you know, I remember in the early years of North Star Community, We haven't done this in a while now that I think about it, but we were, uh, several people had asked if they could be baptized and we were meeting in a school and, uh, church let us, uh, come over after worship and use the baptismal thing to baptize people. Yep. And I can really remember specifically that Several of the people were walking over there saying, I feel kind of anxious about this. I feel like maybe um, it's not okay for me to go in this church to be baptized. hmm So I think...
0: Where do you think that came from?
1: That shame, right? Going underneath a steeple, you know, and feeling like there's something intrinsically so broken or wrong about them that they wouldn't be accepted in church. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, to me, by definition, then calls into question whether they would believe that they would be accepted by God since we hope that the church is God's people, right? So
0: And probably based on their experiences. Oh yeah, it's probably not just
1: experiences.
0: Yeah, it's probably not just an irrational belief that came from nowhere. It probably has grounding somewhere now now we we get it some issues are a matter of perspective people misinterpret events or have miscommunications but also a lot of times faith communities struggle to send the message that this could be anybody's home
1: yeah well we struggle to send that message here. yeah
0: everybody struggles to send that message
1: you know just uh uh it it's it's hard to not uh when we feel like we have to earn God's love or we feel like we can't earn God's love, it's a trickle-down effect to what we think about relationships, too. So even if you're trying to create a community that represents an open-arm policy for anybody that wants to come in, sometimes it's hard to believe that people mean it. Right. And so it's challenging for all of us uh, in faith communities, but... um but yeah, I mean this guy is just like the guy who says, "Why can't I be baptized?"
0: Okay, so and you've said that several times. You love that. I do love it. Now, let's let's dig in. Tell me specifically and exactly what you think that communicates so that we don't miss it. Because I think for you, it sounds like that's ev- that's everything. For well, this for this message. A, it's
1: a lot for me in this message because yeah. he had confidence that he he could be loved, accepted, received and was worthy of being baptized.
0: And you think that's different?
1: I think it's really different. I mean he's got he had nothing that conventional society would say would be really honoring in the particular geo, geographical location he was in in that moment and yet he had great confidence to say hey why not you know and i love that i mean to me it was just an act of of trust and faith
0: yeah it's sort of like saying and i think we've been trained not to think this way in faith circles but it's sort of like saying i'm as good as anyone else yeah and i think that's true you know like i, I think that's a true i think that's true for everybody now, I think that we've been taught to do this kind of false humility stuff of right. like, I'm so unworthy, God doesn't want me, right. God uh, you know, God uh, really wouldn't want me if it weren't for, for Jesus' work and that you know there's nothing that, you know, and yada, 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 and on and on and all this eory kind of stuff. Right. But, I, you know, I don't know how useful it really is in creating faithful people. To just put on this facade of unworthiness.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think th- I agree. Yeah,
0: I, I, I would guess, and I don't have anything to support this at all, but I would guess that you'd be much more likely to get an enthusiastic, faithful life out of per, out of a out of a person who thinks I'm I'm as worthy of of God's affection as anybody else
1: yeah and not only am I worthy, but I' have his affection right. He will yeah. run for me it's,
0: worthy was not a good word choice yeah there, but
1: but but I'm God's crazy about me worthy or not it's a whole different discussion. It's just he's just crazy about me, you know, and it's just like uh trick or treats last night with Christian and Nora, right mm-hmm. you know Christians too, and um. It hasn't occurred to him that anybody's going to withhold anything from him. Right. So when the trick or treat Except
0: for occasionally we'll get a meltdown at Chick-fil-A when he thinks he's not going to get to go into the play area. Yeah.
1: I mean, get to do something he wants to do. Now, we can have major meltdowns about that, but like with the Halloween candy, he, does not, he did not believe it. There was a law of scarcity. Mm-hmm. He did not see the meme on Facebook that says that all... Mur- all mothers get to keep all the Reese's, you know. <laughs> he just thought he had as much candy as he needed, so he was running around giving candy to Pops, giving candy to Nora, you know. He might
0: even be able to visit the house that had the bucket just sitting on the stairs because they're not at home and only take one piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, he's he doesn't have any sense of the law of scarcity. And... uh I understand that when he was going around from house to house, he was given the instruction to say trick or treat, which, of course, we know he can say because he can say everything. Right. He can even say mini excavator, right? (laughs) So he can certainly say trick or treat, but he never said it in any house. The only thing he ever said is happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) He he doesn't feel like there's anything he has to do to get good stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think as, as spiritual beings, we would be so much better off if we could find our way back to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're going to be inevitably corrupted away from some of that innocence. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, if you can find ways to relearn it, um, through learning how to trust people and having trusting relationships and loving relationships where people are able to reflect that aspect of God's character to you to the point where you can regain some of it, Uh, not only are you going to benefit from that to the nth power, but your your community around you will as well.
1: Yeah, I was listening to to a, a podcast meditation this morning where the guy was talking about gratitude. And he was, uh, he's a guy that's a, he's a business guy. And that's what his background is. And he was like, when you create corporations where gratitude is expressed often Mm -hmm. and regularly, they tend to be the ones with the highest productivity ratio. Interesting. I thought it was. And I mean, it just makes sense. mean, you know, I,
0: uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, um, I read a story sometime within the last year about how, um, you know, now, now that Steve Jobs is, has passed on, people are, feel free to be honest about him now. Right. Um, which... I won't even comment on whether that's good or bad, right or wrong, but there's certainly a lot being written. Aren't that's... you
1: glad we're never going to be famous and no one's ever going to comment on us?
0: Yeah. Well, and his daughter, not the least, you know, right. not the, not even the smallest voice among them. But one of the things that I read about Steve Jobs, and you know what? Who knows if this is even true, but I read an article by a former Apple employee who said that you had to be prepared to run into him in the elevator and if you ran into him in the elevator you had to be prepared to tell him your ideas about things that that the company should do or you know moves they should be making new products they should be creating changes to their current projects to their operating system whatever and if your idea was sucked or if you didn't have an idea he might fire you on the
1: spot Unbelievable. So you had
0: to like live in this (laughs) constant state of fear of running into God and having him fire you simply because you were unprepared for an impromptu conversation.
1: I'd never get on the elevators, that's for sure.
0: No, but I would imagine that that's the myth that a lot of people live under. When it comes to their beliefs about God yeah is that at any at any time the hammer is going to fall yeah and you don't and you can't predict it and you can't be prepared for it. And that is, I think the point that you're making or have been making over the past several weeks that's no starting point for a life of faith.:
1: No, I don't think so and and I, j- I just don't think it's workable. Um, I was at a meeting today where we were talking about addiction and, uh, someone came up after the meeting and said to me, you know, pulled me aside and said to me, I just don't understand why, uh, God is not answering our prayers and eradicating substance use disorder, you know? Right. Good Um, question. And, (laughs) you know... I thought there's that there's that nasty little myth again, right? Yep. That belief that substance use disorder is um, a judgment in some way, um, and that we needed to redouble our prayer efforts in order to eradicate it. And uh, certainly, prayer is an important part of work in a spiritual program, but I just felt this.
0: What you heard it, in that was that we were not doing a good enough job of spiritual performance right. in order for God to be willing to go to work on our behalf. and that Like it, he was looking down and seeing a bunch of lazy people who weren't quite... Uh, checking the boxes, and if they just did, he would take he would he would ease this burden.
1: Yeah, and they they went on with some specific suggestions, like, "Well, I I know why we have this problem with uh, substance use disorder. I mean, they didn't call it that because they didn't know, but anyway, I was trying to get them to call it that. Um, and it's because we've taken prayer out of schools, right? So there are all these connections people make, which I have a lot of compassion. We're living in a really crazy time, and we're trying to make sense of our world.
0: People want to understand. They want to and understand. Simple explanations are always attractive explanations, and they probably heard that somewhere.
1: Yeah, they went on. They gave me more of them, but I think I, I think I disassociated from my body and went and stood in the corner, uh, in the ceiling. But, you know. It, it,
0: can we talk about that later?
1: Yeah, well, that we'll talk about that <laughs> off podcast.
0: <laughs> I want to hear about the ceiling.
1: <laughs> it was a very tall ceiling. Yeah, um, and it felt safer than believing that God was uh, allowing our sons and daughters, our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren to die from substance use disorder.
0: Our our parents, our spouses,
1: our parents, our spouses, our grandparents. Yeah. Um that God was somehow condoning that until we redoubled our efforts at behaving better.
0: Yeah, or that it's the or that it's a, a deserved punishment. Yeah. Which is very troubling. Yeah. In case we haven't made that clear.
1: Yeah, that's that very That is troubling.
0: not particularly w- what we believe about how God interacts with his creation. Yep. A lot of people seem to assume that when God looks down at His creation and sees that it's good, that that ended at some point, yeah, and it doesn't say that.
1: It doesn't. He doesn't say that anywhere. And so, just like the running father and Jesus who went to the well, and now that lovely story, although very weird with the Ethiopian eunuch, uh is just not who He is.
0: Right. So, uh, in, in drawing to a close, what are just, again, I know maybe this will feel repetitive, but what do you think, what are the one or two things that you want people to take away from this story? And then how would you suggest they begin to apply it, uh, to their, to their lives?
1: Well, maybe we change the question from, you know, I, you know, why won't or why can't God do this for me, to why not, <laughs> and change our attitude a little bit. Okay. So maybe just get a little bit more enthusiastic about the possibility that God's got a pretty good track record for uh, <clears throat> involving himself in helpful ways in the lives of people who seek him.
0: So changing the the attitude to one that assumes that God has a giving posture towards his creation.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, look, this is a spiritual discipline for me. Right. It's not easy. It's not easy. I've got this thing, um, a little plug here for a little thing called Panda Planner.
0: (laughs) I've seen these on Amazon.
1: I ordered one. (laughs) And I ordered one to help me with my attitude. I mean a panda just helps with your attitude. Yeah. But it's got some ways Evidently to Evidently
0: they can be pretty mean and vile, but we don't need to.
1: They're cute though. Yeah. Don't don't disillusion me. Yep. So it has this little square for focus and intention. An affirmation of the day. Tasks and goals and all that good stuff. And um I am really consciously working on both weekly, daily, and monthly goals to say what would what would I think about my day and how would I choose to spend it if I believe that God God loves me as much as He loves any of these other people He came down uh, to to love on and serve and meet their needs and help and. uh I'm trying to remember that.
0: Yeah. So did you, is that the application piece for you or did you uh, have anything else you wanted to add on that front?
1: Well, that's how I'm applying it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other thing. That's
0: how you're, that's how you're sort of integrating. Trying to. Into your daily practices, that new attitude.
1: Yes. And, and, and I'm like being really concrete about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I have concrete action steps that I take every day with that in mind. Um, It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But um, I'm kind of old. I think it's time for me to start trying to practice some of this stuff. Yeah. And then, well, you didn't have to agree with me about (laughs) the old part. (laughs) Yeah, I was
0: agreeing to the practice, (laughs) not the old part, but
1: the the and then the other thing I've been doing um which I've been doing for quite a while but um uh taking the advice of uh spiritual directors who talk about um stillness, silence and solitude as spiritual practices to help us become more self-aware because I think those practices have actually led me to see all the ways that I believe in practicality that I have believed that God loved everybody else, but he wanted me to earn my keep. Yeah. That came out of those spiritual practices. So these spiritual practices are also a part of my daily life. And then stuff just bubbles up. You just start noticing patterns about yourself. So that's one of them. And... Of course, I am a big advocate for continuing to return to the scriptures. I know this isn't very popular these days, but continuing to return to the scriptures and saying, what are these stories teaching me about God and "Do I am I willing to believe it? Right. In particular, the parables, you know, knowing what you've been teaching us about, you know, parables as a general rule are there to teach us one small thing about God, and not getting so hung up in all the details, except looking for what, what can I learn about God in this parable. So uh, my scripture study has also been about that. It's trying to consciously find um, what the scriptures are actually telling me about God, not what I assumed they were telling me. Right and pair that with my, um, intentions. So yeah, that's what I've been up to.
0: And I think that, you know, um, I think that what that teaches us, uh, or reminds us of in some way is that, um, you know, getting, um, you know, I don't want to say this in a shaming way, but, you know, in order to, Um, possess the certain, our certain way of seeing, you know, our, our, our faith, our faithful living, our spirituality, in order to be able to really embody that, it does take a little bit of work. It takes practices. It takes disciplines. It doesn't just come. Yeah. And that stinks in some ways. Uh, We are not going to just break down uh, these myths by saying, hey, that thing you believe isn't true. Rarely does anybody just go, oh, okay, and they're good. I mean, they may, you know, on a cognitive level say, yeah, oh, wow, okay, like I didn't know that. That's new information for me. But just because something's new information doesn't mean it translates into what they actually believe, what's actually been internalized. And so while it's unfortunate that this takes some work, I think one of the things that I'm taking away from the message series is it takes some work.
1: Yeah. And it does.
0: And you're not necessarily going to get the benefits if you're not willing to put in some of the discipline.
1: How do you do it? I mean, I see how I do it. I'm old. You kids are mostly gone from home. We have no pets. (laughs) (laughs) Dad falls asleep really early at night. I got some extra time on my hands. Right. How How do you do it as a young, married, young father- In school, working more than a full time job, kind of guy.
0: Uh, How do I squeeze in spiritual disciplines into that?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, how, yeah, I guess that's the question I'm asking.
0: Um, yeah, being an Enneagram 5, I guess my spiritual disciplines tend to be of the contemplative variety. Um, So that's been a negotiation. That's an ongoing negotiation that we haven't quite figured out yet as a, as a, as a young family or a family with a young, with a young child of trying to figure out where I get that time and how, um, so, but, um, I, I am learning to take it where I can get it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, this is, this is maybe too detailed for people to be interested in, but. Brittany has dance on Tuesday nights. Well, Nora goes to bed pretty early. So when she's gone after that, I have time to myself. That's contemplative time. Right. You know, that's where I I start squeezing in my my practices. Or if Nora is up particularly early in the morning, that means she's going to go down for a particularly early nap. And so if she goes down for a nap before I have to leave for work, then I've got time there in between when Brittany gets up and... When I have to leave, you know, so I mean, you know, for me, it's it's kind of been about recognizing when I have an opportunity and then trying to be disciplined enough to capitalize it. I don't always do that. Sometimes in the mornings you'll catch me playing an NBA video game rather than. Right. You know, so I'm not saying that I've that I figured it out and I do it well, but.
1: Isn't it isn't it cool that you don't have to beat yourself up? Because one of these myths that we've been busting is that you got to get such a certain amount of quiet time in for God to pay you any attention. Right. I mean, I, I Preferably doing it near school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I have a whole, I have some ranting and raving I can do on the, on the dialogue around quiet times and that kind of thing, but, uh. Yeah.
1: Well, why don't we save that for a whole other podcast? Let's save
0: that for another podcast. If it even probably doesn't even need to enter the the world at all, it's probably fine to just sit in my mind somewhere.
1: Well, ranting and raving is always, sounds like a fun thing to do. It's cathartic. Put it on the list. (laughs) Put it on my tab.
0: (laughs) Well, do we think we've done everything we can do here? Or do we think we've done everything that we want to do here? Guys, we have to say it. We say it every time, and we have to say it again. The music that you're hearing right now, courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. We don't have to pay for it. It's royalty-free. That means we don't have to pay for it, but we do have to plug them. And we want to plug them because we like their music. Blue Dot Sessions, found on the web, sessions.blue. If you found this podcast somehow, mysteriously, without knowing who we are or where to find us, www.northstarcommunity.com.